0: Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm in art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip-hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and I'm on the journey to go from the hip-hop dancing engineer turned multifamily real estate investor. This is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. But before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you already have a platform, a podcast, YouTube channel, and you are ready to create more content that breaks through the noise, be sure to check out Nightly Productions and find out how they can help you stop wasting time and money on content that does not deliver. Now, today's guest, he is the president of InvestArc Properties, focusing on creating investor value and passive income returns for the busy professional. He has been in multifamily real estate since 2014 as both a general partner slash key principal in 250 doors and a limited partner in over 4,000 doors. InvestArk offers the busy professional who wants to include multifamily in their portfolio an opportunity to partner with experts who are aligned with their investment goals. Please give a warm welcome to Randy Langenderfer. Good morning, Taylor.
1: It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show.
0: Now, I appreciate the opportunity that you are here on this Saturday morning because, I mean, I I don't know about you. I don't know many people that are willing to jump on a a podcast on a Saturday. It just works out best for both
1: of us, And you know, as uh, kind of investors. We work around the clock anyhow and whenever it works. So it's fine. Appreciate it, though.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before we dive in, like aside from just the little intro that I had, I'd love to give the audience some context about where you came from and also just how you got into multifamily real estate in the first place.
1: Well, thanks. And again, hope to hope we can build some value in and encourage the, the new investor in this market space because we all started there and I had a lot of people help me in my journey along the way. So it's all about adding value. So, my journey started uh, about probably 10 years ago. I I currently live in Houston, Texas market. Previously, I lived in the Cleveland, Ohio market. And I was working a W-2 job. I still am working a W-2 job. But I was working a W-2 job that was for a private equity firm. And I I knew that it was coming to an end. And Mm. so I realized that uh, I needed to replace my income, find a day job. And I realized also that, gee, I don't really want to retire. I need to find a second income. And so that was the That was the catalyst for driving me into uh, real estate. And I first got started in uh, single family flips. So I was a hard money lender. The story is I'm a a finance education background accounting. So pretty analytical in nature. And I had a a brother-in-law who had gone to, I don't know if you ever heard of Armando Montaleglo's house flipping school in California. He is uh, one of these late night infomercial guys (laughs) that uh, does a lot of house flipping and anyhow, my brother-in-law had went there and he came back and he wanted me to get involved with him. And they flipping. And He had identified a partner or a company in South Florida, Dade County, Miami area. And I remember I said, like, so you want us to put up six figures to buy a house that we've never seen with people we don't know and let them make uh, improvements to it. And then we're going to sell it. Yeah, that's the plan. And so, to a, to a pretty risk-averse guy, that didn't seem like a very well thought-out plan. But as I as I grew and and gained more comfort with what you know hard money lending was and flips, so that's one takeaway for the audience: is educate yourself and, and understand what the risks are. So I, I, I gained an understanding of that. We flipped many houses uh, in South Florida while living in in Cleveland Market. Uh, I cope. I joined venture with my my brother-in-law at the time and we were successful, did, I don't know, I think we said over two and a half million dollars of house flips. And that time I relocated for that business. I said I was looking for another W-2 job. I found one in Houston, Texas. My family and I relocated to Houston. I got really excited about real estate going to the fourth largest metro market in the U.S. Uh, from Cleveland, Ohio, and came to Houston and my family was in Cleveland still and I in that transition period. And so I literally went to a different real estate meetup every night of the week for for months just to really inject myself into the local market and meet people and understand and found and did a couple of flips when I first came to Houston, did several hard money lenders, hard money loans, Mm -hmm. and did that. But I, along the way, went to a conference here in Houston sponsored by Lifestyles Unlimited and... They do a, a nice expo every year. And I heard a summer presentation on multifamily hmm. a guy by the name of Brad Sumrock, uh, the Sumrock group out of Dallas, you know, and yeah. one of the big educational groups. And he, he just grabbed my attention. And I remember I was in his first session and he was scheduled to do three sessions. And I literally sat through all three sessions just because I was so enthralled with the concept of multifamily. And the first thing that really got me about multifamily was the thought of a non-recourse loan. That I could buy a multi million dollar asset without having to put up personal guarantees and the concept of syndication with using other people's money. Because I had gone out and previously tried to buy small businesses when I was in Cleveland uh, as, a, as an entrepreneurial mindset, transitioning from corporate to that. But they all require you to put up large personal loans, you know, and they've things that can come take your house, your car, and you can be financially ruined. So that's a big takeaway from. Uh, Single-family to multi-family, so I got involved in lifestyles for a short period of time. Got educated. I went to the Summerite Group for uh, got even more educated. To fast forward to today, I'm I'm uh, in the Brad and uh, Rod Khalif organization. I'm a coach and a mentor in the Rod Khalif's organization. Rod really enjoy group. <laughs> <Are
0: you? laughs> uh, the Warriors. Now I see y'all everywhere. <laughs> the Rod Clef Warriors.
1: Yeah, he's got a great ecosystem too, and there's many of them out there. They've all got. I'm not. I'm happy with all of them, just different experiences and different people. Right. But so today I'm a coach today. I'm still a W2 employee and I enjoy what I do. I really don't want to quit. I think Mm -hmm. that I can do both. I can do both. So I I still will allocate a good portion of my net worth all the time to passive investing, because as as a finance guy, I just really haven't found an asset class that is much better where you can have uh, tax advantage, cash flow, and appreciation—those three major items—and so I'm both uh, an LP today and a GP, as you said. Spend a lot of my time today analyzing deals, looking, tracking investors—all the stuff you're probably doing too, Taylor. So. <laughs>
0: well, you know, uh, there there was a lot to unpack there, and one of the parts that I want to dive into more—and actually, we haven't even talked about this on the show—is the opportunity for a non-recourse loan and you know i if we don't mind i'd love to just do a deep dive of that because you know if you're going from if you've been investing in single family homes a lot of people ask like oh it's about your personal credit um if you're a strong borrower whereas yeah. that the leverage uh, I mean, there's still a focus on that individual, but not as much. And so I would just love if you could break down just the the concept of a non-recourse loan and how it could benefit the passive investors.
1: Well, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I'll, I'll draw the comparison to that. As I said, when I was looking at buying a business, I was going to buy a, I don't know, a 5 or $10 million business and having to come up with, first of all, the equity to do so is a challenge. Mm-hmm. because uh, you don't find a syndication there. so And whenever you do that, the bank, because it's a bank loan, they will require you to have a personal guarantee, as I said. And that personal guarantee is literally a signature that says, uh, if you default on this loan, you, they can come after your house, your cars, your all your assets. Roll forward to, as we said, in multifamily, because the federal government encourages affordable housing, is the primary reason they look at that as a asset into itself and even compared to other assets like um, strip malls and and uh, warehouses and other commercial assets that are non-recourse the, if the fannie mae the freddie mac the agency loans the most enticing thing there for me at the time was it's a non-recourse so i'm not held personally liable in the rare event it were to go totally south if if the asset were to totally go south and, and non-perform, yes, I would lose my investment money, but they could not come after me personally. Mm. As the GP and the LP has even less risk because as a limited partner, a limited partner has zero liability because by the nature of being a limited partner, if bad things were to happen, the limited partner has zero financial liability or any other risk. They they could lose their investment, but that's a whole lot better than the, the lending agency coming after your personal assets. Mm. And as a GP, a general partner or a sponsor, I use those terms synonymously, the person who puts the deal together, it's the same thing. I've never seen one go totally south yet, quite honestly. But that's why agency, uh, Freddie, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, underwrite and make sure there are uh, debt covenant ratios and loan to value and all You know, We can get into a whole other lending side of that. But its you're not financially, you're not personally liable. As a general partner sponsorship for the loan, if it were to go totally south. The only thing you're liable for is in the event that's called the bad boy carve outs in the loan, which were to say that if you commit fraud primarily, mm. they could come after you personally. The bad boy carve outs and, and, and basically just say that if you commit fraud, so an example of fraud is if there was a fire on the on the property and you took the the, the fire proceeds and ran off to Mexico or someplace. <laughs> buy a Lambo or. <laughs> yeah, by a Lambo versus yeah. we uh, investing it in the, you it's know, the, the fire or the property. Or you know, in Houston, we have uh, flood issues. So if you take the flood proceeds and the same thing, bought a Porsche or a Lambo or a nice vacation, that that would be trigger one of the bad boy car bats in the agency loan. And then you could be held liable. But for that's a really extreme case. Right. And I've been doing this for six, seven years. I've never seen a loan default yet.
0: Wait, and, and that's what I wanted to touch on too. Is uh, I mean, with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, their lending requirements—they want to make sure that it's a stable property before they even give money out to to the management team. Where you know it's ninety percent occupancy, or or actually, I, don't, I to be honest, I don't really know the exact terms, but I do know that they underwrite to make sure that it is safe and enough for them to to know that their, their loan is going to be secured. Now, something I did want to touch on though, and we can just go over this on a super quick basis is with non-recourse loans now, and like during the pandemic, have you been seeing lending get tightened up just a a little bit? And is that concerning you moving forward?
1: So so, yes, just a short answer, uh, (laughs) just a short answer, but If you think about it, the the agencies are federally funded. So, you know, right now the federal government's printing a whole lot of money and they're wherewithal. And they obviously want to support, again, affordable housing, you know, as the disparity between those who can own a home and those who can't. widens in America. The need for housing is even more important. And that's really the impetus of the government is why they have these agency loans. But, yes, agency loans. And when I use the term agency, we're talking about Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Mm -hmm. federally backed agencies that support these loans. They have several requirements. One is, as you said, they're not going to buy, they're not going to let you borrow money for an asset that's 50% occupied. So their general, one of their their triggers is, as you indicated, has to be a stabilized asset, meaning that it has occupancy of 90% or greater for uh, a defined period. I think it's over 90 days. Another key element they're going to look at is they're going to look at your the current operations, it's called the trailing 12 months of expenses and revenue, and they're going to look at that and make sure the debt service cover, covenant ratio for the DSCR, and it's referred to, is at least you know one, Just I think it's one four now. So that means that the property is generating enough cash or 1.4 times the cash required to service the debt. So the debt service coverage ratio is, is another key element they're going to look at they're going to want to make sure and require you to have proper insurance on the asset. They're going to make sure you have, and coming down to your question in COVID times, they have tightened the requirements. We simply refer to them as COVID, COVID capital reserves. So they require the sponsors or the general partnership to have dependent it's It's changed. It started out 18 months of principal and interest taxes and insurance escrow in advance. Mm-hmm. So that means you have, At that time, 18 months of principal payments, taxes and insurance and I'm sorry, and interest payments sitting in a reserve account that they control. So it's another safety measure for investors on a limited partnership basis to ensure that this is a liquid asset and is going to continue. And the government obviously wants to make sure they're going to get their money back. So that puts more requirements on us as uh, general partners or sponsors. But there's another layer of protection for the limited partner, and those requirements has as COVID has progressed, I've seen them down now. They're they're probably more negotiable to probably six months principal principal only reserves. Okay. So the the requirements are less, but they're still there, and and they just depend on what brokerage house you're working with and how they their desk writing privileges uh, have been obtained from Fannie and Freddie. Right.
0: Okay. Got it. Now you know moving moving forward along and um, oh not away well I guess away from from non recourse loans. I would love to just dive into the first deal that you had because you you know you went to the Sumrock Vents and you know you were uh, enthralled with the benefits of multifamily. Now when you got in, I would love to just talk about that first deal. Were you an LP or a GP, and how did you even get to that first deal?
1: So. How did you get started at that time? I, I did not want to be a general partner. I, I thought mm. I would aspire to that years down the road, but what I really wanted to do was educate myself and, and learn the business. And given I had a W-2 job, everybody's plan is different. Whether you jump right into the general partnership or you jump into the LP, I wanted to jump into the LP to learn myself. I wanted to learn how different general partners operate, how they communicate, what their risk tolerance with. Though I had the education from the, the big groups I was in. You know, there's the, there's the technical analysis to Excel and all that stuff versus the real life of how this works out. So the first deal I jumped into was that was a limited partnership deal. So and this is one, if you'll allow me uh, to articulate a little bit there. Go for it, please. This is a, this, cause this is a great example. So I'm pretty uh, excited about this and I met a, a sponsor or a general partner uh, in the the group who happened to also be in Houston, Texas, physically located in Houston, Texas. And he was sponsoring a deal that was located in Port Arthur, Texas. So for your audience who may not know where Port Arthur is, it's about 120 miles just due east of Houston, and it sits right on the ocean. Uh, It's a very, uh, what we look for in terms of a working class community, a lot of jobs in there in the petrochemical industry, and this was in 2014, I'll say, okay. summer of 2014. Uh, it had been, the property had been vacated and a developer came in and totally rehabbed it. And the occupancy was at about 65%. So the, the, the sponsor that I knew bought the property and his the, the play was simply to buy the property on a bridge loan, lease it up, and then convert it to an agency loan, Fannie or Freddie, Okay. And if you simply went, if you went from sixty-five to eighty-five or ninety percent occupancy, this thing was a cash cop. And so I invested uh, in that one because I knew the guy. Still, I knew, liked, and trusted him. Mm-hmm. I, he was a corporate guy. He very analytical, very detailed. Trusted him as a human being. i have met with him several times. We talked through things. I invested in this uh, asset, and the first one. So I. I elected to use my self-directed IRA. It's my first investment too, because nice. I didn't want to put spendable and there's another whole podcast we can talk about that, <laughs> using the self-directed IRA. And I invested in this asset and you know, about eight months into the property, maybe it's it nine months, he bumps up occupancy. He refinances a loan and I get 60% of my money back. And I'm thinking, I'm really smart. And I'm good. <laughs> You know, this, <laughs> yeah. this is, this is the way this thing works. Right. Right. So he refinances the agency debt and then the proverbial crap hits the fan. So this is in this, so we bought it in 2014, probably uh, spring of 2015 or so we refinance the fall of 2015. He puts out a letter that basically says the property manager was committing fraud. Ooh. Who had overstated revenue and that overstated occupancy. Oh. And the story, so this is the this is the great case study of what can go wrong for investors and why you should know, educate yourself. So, first the first red flag is property managers committing fraud. So he, he cans the property manager, he gets a, a new one in there, and uh, you know, at that point in time. Now the loan is really it falls below those debt service covenant ratios we talked about because when you start talking true numbers the lender starts getting involved and then the really bad news happens that there's more <laughs> is, you got to allow me on this one there's 2017 or 18 whatever Hurricane Harvey hit so this is a 225 unit property and I said it was located on the ocean and so literally the whole first floor 100 and what, 112 115 units get three feet of water in them. And so, and if your listeners are ever involved in these, that's what you don't want to hear. So, so the rebuilding process begins, the loan falls into a non-performing asset category of the, of, from the lender's perspective, because uh, we're not making interest payments and we're not making principal payments as, as the property. So this is, this is bad news. So. Fast forward, he starts to rebuild and rebuilds the property. So the good news is, is you get a lot of money from that, from the insurance company, as I said. Right. And starts to rebuild the entire property. Beautiful, beautiful new units, the whole first floor. Takes a while, starts to lease them up. Good things are starting to happen. Round two of bad news is there's a fire on the property. Uh... And the worst thing that can happen <laughs> if you're an investor. So I don't mean to turn off your investors because this is going to come to a good story. I don't mean to turn off your investors. But so there was there was a, a non-performing property manager. There was uh, a flood. There was a fire. And regrettably, three kids died uh, Ooh, in the fire. What? So, th- yes, the mother oh, of these geez. children had left these kids home alone. Oh, my gosh. that's terrible. It is. It is truly tragic. And so no matter what happens, even though the mother left these children home alone, they're going to sue us, the property owners, for this property. And so rebuild those re- rebuild those units, get it back online. So this has been in a non-performing status from the lender's perspective. Now, all of a sudden, the story starts to turn positive. We're ramping up the occupancy. We're getting them leased. The thing is starting to churn cash. This is, I don't know. Uh, this is, uh, I, I'm forgetting the time period exactly here, Taylor, but the long story, just last year, then the pandemic hit. And so, you know, as as the pandemic hit, uh, <laughs> business starts to slow down. And so right. it's harder to lease units. Industry is not hiring and they're, you know, slowing down, et cetera, et cetera. So the long story is we sold this property uh, six years later, which was in the spring of 2020, summer of 2020. And uh, here's another big takeaway for your investors or your LP investors. So this guy had the, the sponsor of this had put his own money in it, probably a half million dollars of his own money in the deal to keep it afloat during those bad times. Wow. And the operating agreement, another takeaway to your investors read the operating agreement, the, the PPM, he had the right to pay himself back first before he paid the investors. That okay. was in the operating agreement, pre okay. agreement. However, he didn't. He paid the investors first and then himself wow. because so this is the guy I know I like, can trust and I will invest in almost any deal he puts in front of me today as an LP investor because I saw his integrity and what he did for us. Long story, we got our money back. We got all of our uh, our principal back. We didn't make any money, but this is a true story of the knowledge and to know the uh, sponsor or the GP organizations. And uh, I can tell you other stories about quadruple returns on investment, you know, that are, but the, the, the story is here is my takeaway is know, know the sponsor, know there. there's things you can't ever determine like that before you invest in something. But this right. gentleman is truly a gentleman, class act and made right, everybody. And I'm forever indebted.
0: And, you know, so, something I want to really highlight with that too is that, I mean, when, when it comes, you know, it's something that I that I really love about your message too, like as a passive investor is like you you sort of teach the passive investors to to know to know what they're getting into, but then also to really like vet the sponsor. And at the end of the day, like just what my takeaway from that is like even if the numbers look great, but when things go down south, like is the operator good enough to really bring you through that. And I mean, it sounds like he's—he was an awesome. He's an awesome operator to be able to pull everybody through. Because, like, as a fiduciary, like he really, like, like you said, he really didn't have to.
1: And I I could have walked away and let let everybody just take a loss, right?
0: And and so you know, just from. You know, I I was, I was, I'm curious then is to like, when people are like looking at other sponsors and wanting to invest in these deals, like, was there something that this operator did more that really like stood out to you? Like, uh, like aside from like, maybe like his, his W2 background, like maybe it's something that he said, or maybe it's just the way he was communicating to you. But like, what were some of the signs that you saw that were good that made you want to invest with him?
1: initially this is going back it's a great question taylor i think what attracted me to this this sponsor was his corporate background he had made so we were both in the medical industry i'm employed as a, a large academic medical medical institution in houston he was employed in the medical equipment design he worked for uh startup companies and had made his wealth through those operations so we we had a bond our backgrounds we were similar in age, same, same ecosystem, you know, and so takeaways for me, for the investor, are again, I get, I'm sure you do too, many opportunities in my email box a week to invest in opportunities, and I don't know many of these people, so before you ever invest for your listening audience, just make sure you know the person, vet the deal, what's their track record, are they just their first deal or their 10th deal? and you know i can go in another whole podcast on that but i would say quite honestly i was probably lucky with the integrity of this guy because i don't know how you judge integrity yeah before you invest but one he's he's just a stand-up guy and, I, and i'll ever forever be indebted to him for his you're right he worked the deal so there's another one he worked the deal during the down times he spent 15, 20 hours a week in Port Arthur doing the, you know, the, the grindy detail of the rehab and the one through property managers and selecting property managers and finding one that could work in a, a basically a turnaround. Uh, so he had, uh, I mentioned the one for fraud and then another one come on board and he, you know, as you go through that various phases there, there was a, there was a five, five and a half a year cycle there where he was trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, identify valid property managers that fit that category he stayed in the deal he was he was versus i'll say there are many deals out there today that are incentivizing sponsors to go on to their next deal versus staying in the current deal and uh, i call those you know models that are investor friendly versus uh, sponsor friendly models not them are bad but we as investors are attracted to what i call the shiny object syndrome right this deal is going to turn me 20% 20% IRR, or this one's going to do a 30% average cash return or whatever. Yeah. And, and you know, Taylor, anybody can create a pro forma that <laughs> turns those kind of numbers. I could work a spreadsheet myself, but it's the operations and the integrity of the person you're really talking to that matters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And you know, Something I'm curious about was this. The, was this experience the catalyst that made you feel like uh, you were on this mission to help other passive investors educate themselves before diving into a deal? Because something that I know with you and your message is, you want people to invest versus versus speculate. and and I hear this over and over and over again. Uh, Makes sure, like speculating is is completely different than, than investing. So was this experience the the one that kind of like that brought you to your mission and, and saying, and, and uh, trying to let others know about this?
1: Well, I wish I could say I was that smart, Taylor. Uh, (laughs) I wish, I wish I could say to your audience that I was really smart guy and I had that uh, game plan in place, but no, I think I would categorize it as educational, just my educational process in this space. I still, throughout this, I, I continue to invest in more as an LP and then, learned from that and realized not every deal is a home run right or as my one of my mentors mike becker says you know trees don't grow to the sky and not every deal is going to be a home run not you know and as an investor i'm truly i've had some home runs as a gp and as an lp i mean the one lp deal i was in literally quadrupled my investment in less than two years Hmm. Uh, so there's you know there's two extremes there one is six years five and a half years with my property and the other one is 24 months, quadruple amount. So not every deal is a home run. Practice your game, hone your game, develop your strategy. And I still believe in the asset class and I continue to invest. And as it just challenged me when I became a GP to really focus on the investor, because I think that's one of the values I bring as a GP, having been an LP and gone through a couple of experiences like that. I take other people's money very, 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 very serious. I always tell people I want to make sure that when I'm at the Christmas dinner table or the Thanksgiving dinner table with friends and family, that they're not looking at me as a schmuck, that we've set expectations with the investors. And, you know, over that deal, it turned out OK. And proformas are performance as, as sponsors forecast or create performers that show it 10 percent cash on cash the first year and they may not hit it. But over the life of the asset, take the long view is the other, I guess, takeaway for the investors. Take the long view,
0: right? You know, I mean, with with all the success that you've had, you know, I'm curious as, as to now, like, what's the next step and like what's what's the future and, and the goals looking like f- for you? Like, after being an LP, after being a GP, I mean, you mentioned that you're you love your W two job and you, you don't necessarily want to to leave it. Like, where it's what's what's next now? What's what's the vision for for Randy?
1: Ah, uh, thanks. I mean the, the vision for Randy is just keep on keeping on. So we have a portfolio at Invest our, I continue to you know network, network and network to look for opportunities. I have a couple of partners here in the Houston market where aggressive not aggressively, we're assertively underwriting deals, trying to find an opportunity to bring to the invested market that we think meets the, pro, the our criteria of, you know, seven to nine percent cash on cash and eighty to eighty-five percent total return over five years. Is is kind of the target we're we're focusing on. So I'm underwriting deals all the time, many a week, um, and and building team. So building team of alongside of whether it be lenders, tax uh, professionals to analyze uh, insurance people, uh, legal. So building team, underwrite, build team, and you know, trying to understand the investors who would potentially be interested in that type of arrangement. And if they were, I'd, you know, I'd love to talk to them. So that consumes my days, my nights and weekends. And your comment about the W-2 job, I talk to a lot of people as a coach and I just encourage them to have a long-term plan and, and don't leave your day, day job, your W-2 job until you can replace that income. Mm. And everybody's situation is different. I know people that have working spouses and so they can cover some of the expenses or the, you know, insurances or or whatever, but develop a plan, work the plan, simply put for you, wherever you're at. I love that.
0: I love that. Now, um, you know, something that I always ask my guests like at the end of it now is like what is the legacy now that that you want to leave in the world? Like how now how do you want your family and friends to remember you by?
1: I hate that question.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> good. We can cut this out if you want. I mean <laughs> no, 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 no,
1: no. No, I, I'll answer it. I just I've been asked that question before and I because the short answer for me is legacy. As I tell people I don't want to be known as the world's greatest real estate investor. And that would be a stretch to even imply that. But my, my preference is, is I want to be known as a husband, a father, uh, somebody that helped build into other people's lives along the way, and use real estate as a potential tool to do that. And I guess the other legacy is I've committed that whatever I uh, achieve in, in, in real estate, that a significant portion of it is going to go to several different charities in the long run as part of that, that legacy. So that's a short answer.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. And you know, I, I'm sure like your story with your come up with uh, within the W two job and within your first deal. Like a lot of people are going to be re- able to resonate with it and also learn a lot from you. And I mean, you know, something that really struck me and, and why I love actually talking with you, Randy. I know we just met like 45 minutes ago, but uh, I could tell the passion uh, behind what you do and how you speak about it and just to see that passion is really uh, inspiring so i just want to say thank you
1: i want to encourage your audience you don't have to strike home runs it's develop a plan as i said work the plan and you can get started wherever you're at yes it's work but you know if that's okay too you just have to be ready to work for it and it just depends how much you want to work whether you want to be an lp or a gp and you can jump in
0: can talk for a long time. After that. <laughs> well, and then well, I mean, we we still got the the second episode to go to, and, okay. and some yeah, and something that I want to uh, dive into more is like as a passive investor, when we are vetting these sponsors, what are some of the metrics that we're going to be looking at? Uh, what are some of the questions that we should ask, and what some of the returns? Uh, you know, may look like as a past investor versus maybe other types, types of investment classes, but that's going to be in the second episode. Thank you everyone for listening. If people want to reach out to you, Randy, how can they reach out to you?
1: Taylor, First, let me just thank you for the opportunity. Uh, look forward to hopefully building some value into your audience. The easiest way to get a hold of me is the webpage, invest hyphen ARK, invest hyphen ARK.com. And there's a contact page there that I'd love to schedule, uh, call or send me an email there and love to help your audience however i can awesome sounds good
0: reach out to randy awesome guy and extremely knowledgeable and uh, everyone enjoy the rest of your day i'll see you in a few days for the action items episode Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating, and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.